Hello there and welcome to the 9 o'clock show weekly podcast. It's a compilation of our best interviews from the past week. On this week's show, Polish-Irish woman Joanna Cieszna on calling Ireland home and learning to speak Irish. Cork Cycle for All encourages cycling for people of all abilities and disabilities. Fiona Kelly joined me in studio to tell me about how she combined her passion for hiking with helping others. She talks about life as a Dublin and Wicklow Mountain Rescue Volunteer. The Back for Business programme supports Irish immigrants returning to Ireland. I spoke to the programme coordinator Paula Fitzsimons and two successful startups. And on Friday's show, Christmas party season has arrived. An event planner tells us how the Christmas work party has changed in recent years. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy it. I'm delighted to be joined from our Galway studio by uh, an amazing woman, Joanna Cieszka. Hello. Good morning. How are you doing, Rendon? I'm, I'm really good. Um, hang on a second now, Joanna. I have this prepared for you from my Polish partner. Okay. Witam w programie. Jak się masz? Oh, okay, he will too. Uh, oh, very good, very good. <laughs> now, uh, you are originally from Poland, as is Adam, who just, who just welcomed you to the programme in Polish. Appreciate it, thank you. My pleasure. Jim Queer. Jim yeah. Um, and uh, you fell in love with the country. And I, I relate to a lot of your story, but I also relate to the fact that you're learning Irish. I am, yeah. I did fall, fall in love with, in Ireland, with Ireland in 2007 when I first came down here um, and I became an accidental immigrant. And now, 16 years later, I'm also studying Irish. So, yeah. Good I'm for you. I, I've gone here. back. I'm, I'm studying Irish as well. I went to Gale School oh, and, well uh, I, and I started back about five, about eight weeks ago, 10 weeks ago. I started back one day, one day a week. I have a tutor online and she does it with oh, me. Oh, fantastic. So I'm re-engaging. So I, I'm really excited to, to talk to you this morning. So take me back. You arrived in 2007. Yes. With a, a, I came down here for my friend's wedding. So I was ah. only planning to stay here for a week. I had a return ticket in my pocket and I was meant to be back home after a week. And my mom is still shocked that, I'm, <laughs> that I still haven't come back with my small little backpack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so what, what, how come you kept staying? You just kept extending it, did you? I arrived here just straight after graduating college. So, and I had some savings made up and I was like, I really fell in love with Galway. You know, there's this Galway vibe you hang out around. And I was like, well, I'll just maybe extend my holiday for another week and another week. And I'm still here 16 years later, right? And I'm I'm uh, surprised, that, like Adam is here 19 years, 20 years, I think now. And he mm-hmm. has a very Polish accent. He 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 doesn't, hasn't gotten rid of his, he hasn't got an Irish accent. Do you have an Irish accent? That's what I hear every now and again. Yeah, do I, people say I don't it know, to you? Yeah, it, they do. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it happened, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So, and you got your citizenship last year. I was at one of those I ceremonies. Did. Oh my goodness, they're just amazing, aren't they? Oh God, it's a blessing. I, I, you know, when I received the letter um, confirming the citizenship, like I literally framed it and it's hanged over our table at home because it's so beautifully written and it's just the essence of what I love so much about this country. So, yeah, it's it's been absolutely beautiful. And you are not confused about your identity. You identify as Polish and Irish. Yes, I do. I think I've, I, I was very lucky to, to gain more and grow as a new citizen as well and add it to my own identity rather than choose between the two. Brilliant. Yeah. And so take me yeah, back. I just feel re- richer, you know, I just feel richer. Yeah, well, it. obviously, you're, I mean, now you speak a million languages. It's amazing. <laughs> Three million. Three yeah. million. <laughs> <laughs> so take, what is it about, like, just as just to lavish love on our listeners' ears, what is it about the country that you like? I Most of all, it's the people. Is my Earl Ernadino to not show on special, if I said it correctly, I hope. Yes. Yeah. Um, so most of all, it's the people. Like I genuinely fell in love with the banter, your welcoming, your warm hearts, your how yeah. Uh, you know, like you're, you're queuing for your bread and you make friendships. <laughs> you know, you're related to everyone. Like, you know, everyone. Like it's, it's just 
every little thing, the way people talk to each other, how they are open-minded and welcoming. Um, I, I have no, like, you know, it's, I could talk for hours here, but that's most of all, it's the people. Obviously, there is a landscape. The weather is a bit challenging here in fact <laughs> with the West, obviously, but you got, get to accept the water being with you all the time. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, it's the culture and, and the people and obviously the language. I, I love our weather, shockingly. I really like working in this weather because it's easier. <laughs> it is. Well, it is. Well, you kind of need to, like, obviously the, the, the air is spectacular, you know, yeah. and it, well, I suppose in Galway you need to accept the wind and rain kind of happening sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, now, but you get to live with it, so it's grand. So when did you decide? So I actually thought about trying to learn Polish. Okay. And I found it really challenging, actually. Uh, so I decided mm-hmm. I'd re-engage at Irish first and then I'd look at Polish. Because, okay. So I n- have a little bit of insight because I love listening to Adam talk to his family in Polish. I mm-hmm. think it's great to hear. And right. also, another reason I've connected with my original language is uh, some stats I read around it decreasing, you know, slowing down the onset of dementia. People who are bilingual tend to yes. tend to yeah. get slower. So, and dementia is in my family and I thought, well, okay, well, why not do it for okay, mental health goal. reasons as well? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you love the Irish language. Do you, do you not find it really challenging compared to your original tongue? Well, I do find it challenging. <laughs> it is it is completely different to anything that I've ever known. Yes, it really um, is, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is like the structure of all the sentences are completely, you know, up their head. Like it's, you, you need to you need to learn it from the start and really understand when it's coming from. But at the same time, it is so poetic um, and so complex. So that's really, really fascinating to, to browse through and learn. So and all like it's like even learning new sounds, you may think that it would be easier for me with all the shisha shisha, you know, we have yeah. in the Polish language. But like the the, the throat sounds are <laughs> quite new still, you know. Yeah. So it is it is quite challenging, but at the same, really, really enjoyable. And, and to give you a little hall pass on it, like uh, the Dublin accent with Irish I find mm-hmm. I can understand I really struggle when I get further into the west to understand the accent because we we like I don't even want to go there to be fair yeah, like, no, yeah no, it's, it can get, and, I'll and take we Irish speak, as the Irish yeah. yeah I'll go for the maybe Connemara accent I hope but I, yeah. I know I need to be aware of all the but yeah. accents are insane in this country anyway yeah. how is it even possible <laughs> that there are so many That's so true. if I think of accents when it comes to Irish language as well that kind of intimidates me so I don't want to go there no you're right actually you're right but <laughs> for, now. I, for me sometimes if someone asks me something from the west in mm. Irish I'm like oh, I don't know what you said because I, sometimes mm. I find people who speak Irish in the west speak it quicker they speak qu- okay. in a quicker way. So I struggle with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm at the stage where I'm just like really trying to focus just to listen to Dublin Irish at the moment. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's my little tip. So like, for example, in, in, in Donegal, they don't say Cain Autu, where are you from? They say Cain Autu or something like that. It's, it's mm-hmm. a different way to say it. So you have to learn all the different ways. Yeah. What's been the biggest challenge? With the language, yeah. uh, it's the um, the structure of the sentences. Like, um, you know, it's slightly I am, backwards, I isn't am, it? Yeah, so it's like I am in my living to me, Mahoney, rather than you know I'm living here. Yeah, yeah. Like all of those, or the pen is on me, and all of that that crack. So it's, uh, yeah, but so you just kind of need to settle down in your head, like what's the structure, and then you kind of move forward from it. Um, but like I love like how again like my daughter, she she uh, learns Irish in school, and she comes back home being really excited, discovering, for example, that white is bun and then jarrow is red and then she's mommy did you know that bun jarrow is pink I love you that know one. so it's just that's uh, my favourite word oh, bun jarrow yeah, it's so bon cute isn't yeah. it it is really really cute and it's lovely to be aware where it comes from as well so it's lovely to learn those bits and pieces too um, 
So according to the uh, uh, 2016 uh, census, there's 120,000 Polish people living in Ireland. That's a big number, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, um, and thank you so much for accommodating us and welcoming with your big hearts. And, and what do you think Polish and Irish people share, do you think, that would be so attractive? I think we are both very attractive. Let's start with that then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we're both very guest friendly and very welcoming, maybe in slightly different ways because Irish people socialise mostly outside of their, like, you know, in pubs, they like to socialise or in cafes and stuff where Polish people maybe because of communism. um, We kind of gather at homes. Um, So, and I think, you know, there's religion, obviously, that kind of connects to people um, in many cases. Uh, family oriented, the gatherings. There's plenty. That's plenty. Yeah, Christmas know. Eve is the big one for you in Poland, isn't it? And it is. It's like twelve it is. courses, is it? It is. Oh Jesus! It is twelve <laughs> courses. Yeah, yeah. Will and you, you have to that? try every. Yeah, every. Yeah. Well, we try. <laughs> we try. There's a lot of cabbage going on out there, you know. <laughs> I love so. it. <laughs> and you're you you are married to a Polish man, but you met in Ireland. Yes. Yeah. Cute. We met. It's and he's from very far east of Poland, and I'm very far far west. West. So I wouldn't have known him if we were in Poland. To be fair, and it's actually very lovely to relearn about my own motherland. It be, being in Ireland because I'm learning new things about Poland through meeting him here. Oh. So that's very interesting. Yeah. When I meet other Polish friends in here, we rediscover Poland in some ways. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing country actually as well. Yeah. So, oh, you. uh, and you have children now in Ireland? The two, I have, have two children, yep. Very good, very good. And, th- and they're learning Irish as well. Is he learning yeah. Irish? Did I read that? Your husband? He is, he wow. is. He, he is doing an online course as well, yeah. So yeah, we're, we're doing our bit, yeah. yeah. I, I actually did have a little look at your website, which has a list mm. of the things that you love about Ireland on the website, on the Sock right. Society website, which yes. is your business, which we're going to talk about now. And it's a really, really cute video where you list the things, the smile from a stranger passing by, the local yes. shopkeeper who knows your name, the timeless manners. You list these things on the website. And I would say to people, go and have a look at that little for in the morning now. It's really nice. Brighten up your Appreciate day. Appreciate it. Yeah, we, we, we felt an urge to make that video after last year when I got the citizenship. And as I said, the letter... It's just so beautifully written um, and we felt like, OK, we just need to share the, the joy of receiving the citizenship and, and the, you know, our appreciation for the Irish people and just made that little video. And it actually, it explains everything in 90 seconds, you know, how we feel about Ireland and being welcomed here. Yeah. And what does the letter say? I have seen Adams actually, but you just tell um, listeners what to say. It's 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 very welcoming. So it's like, obviously, you know, like the, the country is very happy to have me here, but it also adds to make sure that I will uh, embrace my own heritage here so Ireland will become richer for it. And I think it's, I I have goosebumps even saying it, you know, uh, because I think it's very beautiful and and lovely, yeah. Okay, so Sock Society, Gear Change, is your, you're an entrepreneur as well. I am, yeah. A, a, a working mum. <laughs> like, you're a busy lady and you're learning Irish. I am, keepers, I know. So Sock Society, (laughs) tell me, what is that? So uh, it's a business of myself and my business partner, Alex. She's also originally from Poland. We were actually neighbours back in Wrocław, our hometown. Uh, didn't know that. We met in Galway over a black stuff in, in, in Nocturns here. Wow. Uh, yeah. And discovered our shared passion for Ireland. Um, we established our first business back in 2011. It was Irish Souvenir Gifts. We kind of wanted to embrace our experience of Ireland. You know, all the crack and banter from like when you go for a walk on the prom and you go back home like with one side being completely wet and the other dry because it's so wet and and windy you know so this is what we did and then back in 2016 we were looking for a new product thought of socks done our opening my box of socks here 
They're there gorgeous. Go. Yeah, it says guaranteed Thank Irish you. on the front, which is of course amazing. guaranteed Irish. Yeah, it's absolutely blessing to be members of Guaranteed Irish. So look out for the G. Um, and yeah, established socks as a separate business back in 2017. So the socks are unisex and they embrace everything that Ireland has best. So it's the culture, the banter, the language, uh, and all the cracks. So they're socks with Irish identity, I suppose. They're gorgeous. I'm just looking at them Thank now. My, they're really nice. And they're lovely quality as well. So oh, yeah. they're in this lovely, that's the gift box closing there. And it says Gurumakot <laughs> on the front, Irish Sock Society. And there's three pairs. Um, so uh, people go on and you can uh, buy them and send them as a gift, basically. Is that the kind of idea? Yes. Yeah. So it's like it's for your nearest and dearest that are here or far away. You know, it's it's a good gift because it's very like everyone needs a new pair of socks. Right. <laughs> and if they add a bit of crack for you in the morning, if they say, you know, have you any crack on the bottom of your feet or like some other different sayings? And most of them are also bilingual. So they are in English and Irish. Yeah. So you have little quotations or a little banter. Your one, your man socks and all that crack. So they kind of carry Irish identity. I'm going to really, I'm gonna really yeah. endorse your product now, Joanna, because <laughs> a certain certain age as a man and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gendering this but as a man and I'm only speaking from my experience when people ask me what do I want for Christmas I now say socks because I always forget to buy socks yeah <laughs> so and they're a great gift it's a practical thinking of sustainability as well it's a practical gift mm-hmm. you know people are actually actually genuinely going to use it and again it has a bit of banter on it like I mean that's the win right yeah absolutely now uh, you've won two business awards for putting Irish language at the fore of your business is that correct? Yes, there is a beautiful organisation Galway City called Gaelic Fagelga and they do Cradam Joseph the Oherty every year. So we've won that twice. Sorry, um, you said that very quickly. They do what? That's why. Slow down, Joanna. I said it quickly. So, you know, people always say, say it quickly in Irish. Um, uh, it's Cradam Joseph the Oherty awards okay. from Gaelic Fagelga. Okay. So they um, award businesses that embrace Irish language uh, well, within amazing. their work. So we've won that and we were recently uh, awarded for Gradham Awards in Dublin City as well for uh, yeah for our work of you know promoting Irish language. We we aim to create a contemporary and fun environment for the Irish language to exist and grow. Lovely. So it's not always associated with uh, you know a difficulty. I'm just about challenge. to open my how are you key ring, right? Okay. And it says how are you on one side and then it says uh, it's Walter Cuig sale na Stucky. There you go. Stucky, yes. yes. Brilliant. It's really cute, actually. Well done. Uh, now, you. I've got a text in here and I this is going to be jumping to your forte. Okay. So, okay. first of all, someone said, Brendan, great listening to the lady. Such positive things to say about our country. Thanks. That's lovely, isn't no, it? Thank you. Now, uh, and I'll be taking notes on this as well. Brendan, I heard you and your guests mentioning the Polish Christmas Eve. What does mm-hmm. it involve? I have a Polish friend and I'd love to help with some of the tradition. So what, what can this listener do to make someone feel a little more three hours, so I'll share all the recipes now. <laughs> <laughs> so we need dumplings, right? We need, well, you can't have any meat uh, <gasps> on the Christmas. Yeah, no, there's no meat, there's no alcohol. So, no. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. What's going on? Awful evening. <laughs> Not the Polish people no. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you, there must be carp. Fish. Okay. Um, so very specific flavour. Not everyone would uh, be up for it, but still you What's have to flavor? eat it. Of muddy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it depends how you make it, but it is a very specific uh, taste. Um, you know, the carp is quite specific. Anyway. Do you like it? No. <laughs> well, do you know what I love, Joanna? Maggi. Maggi. Do, do you get Maggi? Um, not not Maggie, sure. Maggi. 
Maggie. You know, it's like it's like soya oh, sauce. Maggie. Oh, Maggie. Oh yeah, the sauce. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Um, no. Yeah, it's uh, it's like lovage. It tastes a little bit like lovage when you think of herbs. Okay, love. Okay, okay. But there's okay. a bit. I think there's plenty of lovage in there, so I like lovage. Uh, okay. But Maggie, well, Maggie's widely used in in Poland. It's yeah. true. Yeah. And it really does spice things up if it's it does, boring it does <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 yeah. so yeah there's no meat there's a lot of dumplings with cabbage there's a lot of cabbage a lot of uh, peas and a lot of uh, mushrooms so will you do the Polish Christmas dinner or will you do a turkey and or will you well, do both we would do both. Oh, yeah. Wow. So we would celebrate the 24th and then have a dinner on 25th as well. Oh, wow. So, but we wouldn't go for like, you know, we wouldn't be going as far as 12 um, dishes on, on a Christmas Eve. And we would kind of find a happy <laughs> meet me do when it comes to the fish. Like we are so rich when it comes to fish in Ireland that, you know, we're lucky to choose something else than carp <laughs> if we don't like it. <laughs> Wow, wow. Um, wow, I know. I hope nobody's listening here from Poland. <laughs> Adam is glued to it. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be correcting me now. He'll tell me, no, 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 we don't have carb where he's from. Um, he's from a tiny little village, like tiny, tiny, tiny little village um, right. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. very, he's the, fa- the farmer, they're farmers and his oh, mum still keep uh, animals and they, Oh. yeah. And uh, they're very hands-on in the farm, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm not yes. going to get into yeah. it now on the breakfast morning show, but yeah, <laughs> suffice to say, they make their own food. <laughs> oh, class. That's yeah. great. That's the best, really, what you can get. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, so uh, just give me one little last, what else does the uh, the the website sell? I have a bar of chocolate in my hand here, or Cunnel chocolate made in Cork. Yes, yeah, so, uh, well, on the website you can get socks uh, sold individually in the gift boxes that you can personalise. Yes. And sock subscriptions. Oh. So you can get a delivery of your new pair of socks every month for a chosen length of time. There is a yearly uh, subscription, six months or three months sock subscription. We have one customer, a lady who bought her husband uh, um, a yearly subscription of socks five years in a row. Oh, so we lovely. really need to come up with new designs so for this man. She's, she's, no, she's, they're VIPs now, right? Yeah, they're, oh they're, God, they're top drawer, time. literally top yeah. drawer. Um, <laughs> yeah. one, one last little thing I want to ask you, and it drives me mad. When I say I love you in Polish, my mm-hmm. partner says I'm saying I love myself. So I say Kohamsha. Yes. Is that I love myself? Kohamsha, yeah. Ko- Kohamsha. What's it's, I love you? Kohamsha uh, is I love you, but I think you said she, it's like Kohamsha. myself. Oh. So it's che. It's like in my, sec- my second name, you can see it. It's like C I E. Yes. So that's like che, like che, like che, okay. um, like chess, maybe closer to chess. So okay. che. So yeah. I am saying I love myself. Which wouldn't surprise anybody. But it's <laughs> but that's the right thing to do too. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Joanna Cheska, great to chat to you and your website Irish Sock Society. Best of luck with the Christmas rush. I hope Appreciate it goes very it. well for you. Thank you so Merry much. Merry Christmas. We'll take a break. Now, Mark O'Donoghue is joining me on the line from our Cork studio. Mark, how are you? Hello, Brendan. Good morning. Good morning. You have a dog, do you? What's your dog's name? I have name? a dog. We have a dog called Buddy. Ah, lovely. A That's 12-year-old great. border collie. Ah, lovely. So, uh, thanks for joining us, Mark. And you are joining us because you're the uh, founder of Cork Cycle for All, a cycle group open to people of all abilities and disabilities, correct? That's correct. Anybody who, for whatever reason, cannot cycle a bicycle on their own are welcome to join us at um, the cycle for all and we do that like we have tandem bicycles we have tricycle tandems yeah. we have trikes recumbent trikes um, hand cycles running bikes I read your mission and I love it that it really is it's a very it's a macro view to stamp out isolation in communities that's beautiful yeah because see, people who have disabilities 
um, a lot will feel very isolated because you're only as disabled as your environment and what's the community around you. So if you can get people involved in communities, get them out into the community, a lot of this isolation will disappear. Part of a group, social interaction is very, very important. It's as important as the physical interaction that we do at the cycling. So take me back to your childhood and where did your love of bikes come from? Well, I've always loved cycling. Like I can remember going way back um, cycling my father's bicycle and putting my leg under the crossbar <laughs> and cycling it because the bike was way too big for me. <laughs> um, going out beyond the range that I was supposed to go and not telling my parents of <laughs> that I was heading out towards Bandon or down in the direction of Yall. So I, I had a car when I was 17 but still, the bicycle was my main mode of transport and it still is my number one mode of transport. I love the, the mental image of you describing that. Uh, no brakes on those bikes back then and freewheeling down. <laughs> well, that's we used to get bicycles out of the dump. The Cork City dump at that stage was on the Carragorahan Straight Road. And we used to get bicycles from there and bring them up to the field where the Cork University Hospital <laughs> is now based. At that stage, it was all mounds. People used to actually use it for motorcycle trials. And we used to bring the bicycle up to the top of the highest hill we could find and just go down. Yeah. You didn't, why do you want to stop? Why do you want brakes? You just keep going. Yeah. Now, sometimes we stopped and we hit the ground, all right. I bet. I bet. Um, and when you became a dad, you, I've never seen a three-seater tandem. You bought a three-seater tandem for your family. Well, my father got it for us for Christmas. Oh, go away. It's called a Me and You Two. And it's made by a company in England called Thorn Cycles. And they're in Somerset. And this one that we have is for an adult and two children. So when our own children were young, we used to go out on this three-seater bike. In fact, Roisin was at the back of it. Um, she used to fall asleep sometimes because we'd have a bag behind her on the carrier. And she'd lean back and she'd actually go to sleep on the bicycle. And... It's amazing the distance you could cover, but we used to also bring them to school on it. It's going holidays. We had a camper van, and I made a rack for the back of the camper van to hold this very, very long, articulated bike upright. Wow. Wow. So it's in your blood. <laughs> You've been cycling forever. So then, why did, what inspired you to set up Cork Cycle for All? Well, I read an article on a cycling magazine called, um, by an English cyclist and author called Dominic Gill. And Dominic cycled across America. First of all, he cycled the length of America from Alaska down to Chile on a regular tandem. And while he was doing that, he met a man in California who had a disability. And this man said that he had lived in America all his life, but he had never gone across his own country and he would love to cycle across it. So when Dominic came back to England, he researched what type of bike would be suitable and he came up with a bike called a Haze Pino. And he got one of these and he got back to America. But unfortunately, when he got back to California, the gentleman who was supposed to go with him wasn't capable of doing it. But Dominic decided he was still going to do the journey and he went across America from west to east, picking up people with disabilities as he went. And I thought this is an absolutely fantastic idea. And like I've had a few injuries myself. And so I started um, researching it. We bought a tandem, a regular tandem that Claire, my wife, myself used to use. So I started taking people out on that. 
and it just went from there. So you, you, as you mentioned there, you've had a few of your own injuries, you've had accidents, so you've had a brush with what it could feel like to, to have a disability, haven't you? I've come pretty close on a few occasions, but thankfully I'm still walking around and everything. Um, but I have a, an appreciation of what it's like for somebody with a disability and how important it is that somebody with a disability is integrated into society. Because what you must remember is that you're only as disabled as the environment in which you're in. Yeah. By that I mean, for instance, if you're a wheelchair user and you want to go somewhere but there's steps, you can't go there. But if a ramp is put in or a lift is provided, now you can get in there. So it's the same with cycling. You're limited by the style and the type of bikes that are out there. And bicycles can be adapted. There's tricycles if you have balance issues. There's tandems out there if you can't cycle on your own that you can go in the back. There's hand cycles there if you have a spinal cord injury or if you maybe have an amputation or your legs just aren't strong enough, you have a hand cycle. There's also a running bike then that somebody maybe with a hip injury or knee injuries, it's like an elliptical trainer, yeah. but it's attached to wheels. Uh, uh, you've, as you said, you mentioned there, you've had your fair share of brushes and, and scrapes. But I, I really like how you met your wife, actually, was one of your scrapes, wasn't it? That was a, a funny story. I got my kneecap removed in 1984. Uh, I had a crash on a motorbike. I was a pillion passenger in 1969. Mm-hmm. And I damaged my knee and I had a bent knee from 1969 up to 1984. And um, I got my kneecap removed in 1984. And I was in having physio and I was in my own physiotherapist was a girl called Ludmilla. And I said to Ludmilla that I will cycle a bike for Christmas because they told me I may not bend my knee again. And when I said I'd cycle a bike for Christmas, the physiotherapist in the room next door who was treating a patient, Claire, she said, if you do, I'll buy a bottle of champagne. I said, go in, go away and get it. Now, I never got the champagne, mind you, <laughs> but I got something a hell of a lot better. I got a wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, life is funny, isn't it? <laughs> it is funny, but it's great. Yeah. Like, out of adversity comes good. Yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's the story of your life. Um, you were describing some of the bikes. Um you started repairing hand cycles for the Rebel Wheelers. Tell people what the, who the Rebel Wheelers are, will you? Rebel Wheelers are an amazing group in Cork. It was set up by parents of children with disabilities. So that there's a sports club for children with disabilities. And they have their own hand cycles and wheelchairs and all that. And I was at a basketball event up in Neptune Stadium to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the stadium. And there was a wheelchair Um, basketball exhibition game on and I spoke to Paul Ryan after it Paul is the sports development officer with Irish Wheelchair Association Mm -hmm. and I got involved with um, wheelchair basketball and wheelchair sport and I'm a plumber by trade so I have a mechanical background and I started helping them out and repairing the hand cycles and the wheelchairs and that type of thing Brilliant. And, and so that's where kind of your ability to sort of get, actually fix these machines to suit people. Is that fair enough to say? So Well, it's more than fixing them. It's adapting, adapting them, them yeah. to, to suit people because everybody has different issues that will 
stop them from cycling a bike. So who are your members in Cork Cycle for All then? Cork Cycle for All, the predominantly at the moment, it's blind, visually impaired people. So they will go out on a tandem. They'll go on the back of a tandem. We've got people who have Parkinson's, MS, stroke survivors, cardiac issues where maybe you can't walk or exercise for long without getting caught for breath. So you're up on the back of a, a tandem, up on a bicycle, you can pedal away. You, Even though you're pedalling at the same rate, speed as the pilot, who's the person in front, you're not necessarily putting in the same effort. So you can pedal at your, with whatever effort in that you're capable of doing. Um, we also have people who are using hand cycles. So this is somebody who's had a spinal cord injury, for instance, mm-hmm. and they could be a quadriplegic or a paraplegic, and they can no longer have use of their legs, but they can use their hands and they can propel a bicycle using their hands. So there's special bikes for hand cycles. And uh, we also have a very interesting bicycle that somebody donated to us recently. It's a trike, but it's a tandem trike, and the pilot goes on the back and the person with the disability goes on front. So this is also giving stability, a lot more stability to the person in front. And they also have the option of not pedalling if they don't want to because there's a freewheel in the front um, part of the bike. So it's just opened it up to so many other people. And so do the pilots need to be trained <coughs> to leading a tandem? I've seen tandems going through the park a couple of times. I often wonder, do you, like if you're, if you're cycling with somebody who has, uh, is visually impaired... You probably need to be trained, don't you? Yes, well, Vision Sport Ireland run training courses, run very, very good training courses for tandem uh, pilots. Mm. But we also then will, if we get two new pilots in who have done the training course, they will go out by themselves. They'll go out with each other, taking turns of going on the front and the back for a number of weeks before they will take a blind or vision impaired person or somebody with Parkinson's or whatever out on the bike. So they will... Um, get comfortable on the bike they will know um, how the bike works it's different to a solo bike it's longer it's heavier the turning circle is wider so it's also the stopping is a little bit takes a little bit longer than it would on a regular bike so yeah so you need you need the training of course Um, and you're constantly growing are you? well I've been doing it myself for about 10 years and last year one of the girls who comes out cycling with me, a girl who's visually impaired, she said it to another person that she was going out tandem cycling to Tom English. And Tom said that he would love to get involved. So I had actually known Tom before before this. And he came on board and brought a number of other people on. And it just has grown and grown since then. We now have over 30 um, people who come out cycling with us. And we have about 15 pilots Brilliant, brilliant. Um, so it's expanding all the time and you'd love to grow it across the country and into other countries, would you? Well, we won't say other countries. We might try counties. <laughs> we'll, there. we'll stick with them <laughs> on the island. I've been to Tralee a number of weeks ago. Tralee, there's people come up to us from Kerry. There's um, people from Yall, from North Cork, from Formoy. And they travel down into Cork City to come cycling because it means so much to them to have the physical activity as well as the social interaction with with other people. 
So one of the women who's cycling with me and has been cycling with me for over seven years is Anne Kelleher. And Anne is originally from Tralee. So she wants to set up a group in, in Tralee. So I was down there, I suppose it's four or five weeks ago, and we had a trial day. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely fantastic. We had eight people who came down who were willing to be pilots. And I think we had eight or nine um, stokers came down. And we had an absolutely great day on the Greenway in Kerry, in Tralee. So a stoker is obviously the the person who's pedalling but not piloting, right? That's correct. The stoker is the person on the back of the tandem. Okay. Now, at the moment, we're just referring to tandems. We're not talking about hand cycles or anything else. Okay. So they're the person on the back. Um, most people would think that it's somebody with a visual impairment. But as I said, not necessarily. Even somebody with a balance issue, a tandem is a great um, bicycle for that. Now, are we in Ireland... I mean... Cycling has really grown, hasn't it, in popularity as a, as a pastime. I mean, I cycle myself now. Um, in Norway, the government will uh, pay for bikes for people with disabilities. You can go to your doctor and they'll prescribe as part of your treatment cycling. Are we starting to import, uh, recognise the importance of cycling for everyone? Well, I think now that doctors are beginning to prescribe exercise as a treatment, as distinct from giving drugs all the time. And as you say, in Norway, for the last 20 years they've been prescribing bicycles and tricycles. Now, when I say a tricycle, I don't mean your sit-up-and-beg shopping basket tricycle. They're actually quite difficult to cycle. Yeah. There's lower tricycles, recumbent trikes. There's two different types. There's a del- what's called a delta trike, which has two wheels at the back and one at the front. And the one at the front is further out from you. It's very stable. You can have under-seat steering or above-seat steering. These are very, very stable, very quick, very comfortable bikes, and they look cool. The yeah. second one is a one called a tadpole. Oh, yeah. Now, it resembles a tadpole in that there's two wheels in the front. I know them, yeah. And one at the back. Yeah. And again, the steering is done underneath. It's done by the side. So, for instance, if somebody has difficulty getting on and off a bike, they can walk backwards and just sit down in the seat because the seat has a backrest as well on it. It's a recumbent seat. It's a comfortable seat. Yeah. You're sitting down. Your feet are strapped in. Your steering is done down at your hip level. Yeah. So it's very, very comfortable. Mark, I'm having loads of responsive texts to you. People saying what a positive man you are. Uh, we could talk to you all morning, but unfortunately we've run out of time now. So Mark who from Cork Cycle for All, thank you so much and best of luck. And thanks for taking our call this morning. Uh, we're going to take a break. Now, I don't need to tell you, but one of the best things about living in a place like Ireland is that you're almost always within distance of some stunning view, beautiful landscape, be it coastal or mountain peaks. Well, my guest this morning is someone who has become passionate, not just about hiking and climbing mountains, but also about taking care of the likes of you and me while we're out there. She's a volunteer with the Dublin Wicklow Mountain Rescue Team and is in studio this morning. Good morning, Fiona Kelly. Morning, Brendan. How are you? I'm good, good. We, we actually uh, bumped into each other, didn't we, in a restaurant did. once. And I, you started to tell me about your incredible work. Yeah. But um, before we talk into the rescue work, take me back a bit. Um, sure. And your ambition as a beginner is very impressive to be a mountain hiker. Yeah, so I suppose this, this all began probably about 12 years ago um, over few drinks in a restaurant um so there's a theme there but it was a it was a fr- it was a friend um as was myself and two friends and she had been looking for a challenge so we decided we would um for some reason 
uh, set the ultimate challenge and we would go and climb Kilimanjaro um, later that year. So we signed up. Uh, yeah, I did not know this. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah. So we, we signed up overnight and uh, I was like, well, I've never been up a mountain before, so we're going to have to start hiking. So so we did and we found ourselves down in Carantool and, and we... Um, and Carantool's pretty tricky. Yeah, I didn't even know. Like, I, like I had no business being up a mountain, right? I'm I'll kind of a latent hiker. Yeah. I've come to it in the last 10 years and I love it. Yes. And there's something about it that you just have to get and you slip into it. Mm-hmm. And that is because I used to rush up and down and think about my lunch. I think about where we were going next yeah. instead of just enjoying the process. So Karen Tool is pretty, pretty hairy one to start with. Yeah. Now we were guided up it. So so we were and um, we were guided. To, okay. We were guided. Right. So like, I would not recommend anybody inexperienced goes up a mountain. Um, well, of course like you wouldn't that. now because now you're I trained. Um, but so so we did that. We did Kilimanjaro. We went off and we um, did a number of hikes and probably along the way realised that we were um, being guided. We didn't really know what we were doing. So we, we set off and we did our mountain skills training. And come back a bit, come back a bit. Yeah. Kilimanjaro, what's it like? It's so fantastic. You, so that was your first big hike. That was my first, yeah. That was my first big hike outside of Ireland, yeah. right? So, so um, obviously did the, the Reeks and Kerry, um, did a little bit around Wick though. But uh, Kilimanjaro was my first. What was big. it like? Describe it. It's fantastic. So it's it's just a, I mean the only way I can describe it like all of these things. It's just this journey, and um, they give you this piece of advice at the beginning because it is it is quite intimidating and daunting when you get there and you see it looming ahead of you, and they just say. It's how you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. And you just walk one step at a time. Like you've got the best of help and the best of care around you. So um, they're advising you and they're telling you, you know, when to take breaks. And like you're you're not just climbing, you're dealing with the altitude. And you're looking there and it's looming and it's sticking <laughs> through the clouds, isn't it? Literally. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And as you get, each day brings something totally different. So the first part of it, you know, it's um, rainforests and it's very damp and wet and mucky. And then the next day you're up and you're above the clouds and it's much more of like a lunar landscape. And then you progress even further and you've got um, onto the uh, Barranca Wall, which is very steep. And sort of when you're approaching it, you're wondering, how are we ever going to get up there? Um, but, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, every every single day brings a totally different um, aspect to it. You create lifelong friends uh, through it. So I met people on that tour that, you know, I didn't know beforehand and they're now some of my best friends. Um, well, so you'd obviously thoroughly recommend it for people who like hiking. I, I absolutely recommend it. And it's not a hard hike physically um, as in the, the hiking element of it. It is from, you know, making sure that you're ready for the altitude and giving yourself the best chance. We had a great um, guide who made sure that, you know, we, took everything slowly so we were giving ourselves the best chance so 19 out of 20 of us made it to the top whereas a lot of other groups it might have been more like 5 or, or 6 out of 20 Because um, they get sick Because they get sick and you, oh, like wow. we, had, we had one um, girl in our team who just she, she couldn't eat for 3 days you're right with the altitude and it, you know it was just unfortunate but um, yeah wow. so it's, it's a challenge So what year was that? That was in 2013 12 years ago 20, 20, Yeah 2011 2012 yeah. So that's you're hooked then. Yes. You're a hiker. Yes, I'm a hiker. So then you tie, you decide to take it to the next level. When you come home to Ireland, you think, right, because you were guided and people were carrying your bags. Yeah. And I mean, I have to say, I love a guided hike because mm-hmm. you don't have to think about anything. Mm-hmm. You can just enjoy it, right? Yeah. But we go on our own all the time and I get a bit nervous. Yeah. So you went on and trained. What did you do? So myself and my friend Laura, we went and we, we decided, well, we're going to have, we should 
we should be responsible here and we should learn how to do this properly. So we um, looked at how we would go about that in Ireland. It's the Mountain Skills um, sort of curriculum. So there's Mountain Skills 1 and Mountain Skills 2. And that for me just unlocked everything. I remember driving home afterwards going, I can go up that mountain, I can go up that mountain. Like I can I can plan a route, I can be prepared, I can be confident going out and I know that... Um, oh, you're selling make... it really well. I love the idea of it because I, we've gone up, uh, we go up Lugna Quilla a lot in Wicklow yeah. and we've gone through marshland and I'm going, this is dangerous. Yeah. I, this, yeah. This is, we need to find, because we can't do a route. So who did you train with and where can I find out so, about that? So um, you, you can go on to um, the Mountaineering Ireland and they'll have a lot of the Very information um, around, there's lots of different providers. Um, there's actually a number of them on our team now. So usually what happens is people volunteer and they join the team and then they get the grow for even more for the outdoors so they become mountain skills or mountain leaders or they train and become paramedics um, so so people kind of their whole life changes right after they join the team um, in, in, in many we'll cases. We'll get to the team in yeah. a second so how long does the, train, the training take? A few weeks? Weekends? For mountain skills? Yes. It's, it's a weekend um, wow, okay. and and it's um, you're out from Saturday until the Sunday evening. You tend to stay over. When you progress to mountain skills too, you do. There's a night element to it. So um, yeah, it's it's full on, um, but yeah. it's an ex- incredible experience. So then it led you to volunteering. So I lo- you, you you have a very glamorous hiking uh, <laughs> uh, history. You 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 went to Kilimanjaro. Of course, you start with the best, of course. <laughs> and and then uh, what drew you from you know this? Now you now are sort of a accomplished, qualified hiker and comfortable in your own skin mm. to then becoming a volunteer. Yeah. France and Switzerland feature. Oh, yeah. So um, so the following year after Kilimanjaro, um, a group, a subgroup of, of the, the team that had gone to Kilimanjaro wanted to do um, Mont Blanc and do the Haute Route on the way to that. So the Haute Route is like 100, 120 kilometres from Zermatt to Chamonix um, and you're hiking hut to hut. And... Hut to hut. Yeah. What's that so, mean? So there's there are huts up at the top of these mountains and you hike to them. <laughs> you stay there and you hike the next day to the next wow. hut. Yeah. So it's I and at the time it's my friend Siobhan um was very keen on doing it and I was like, not for me. Why um, not for you? Is it, are you sharing dorms and stuff? Is it a bit mucky? I don't know. I think I probably just had a lot going on at the time. Um okay. so anyway, I did I didn't sign up to it. And then one of the girls dropped out with about six weeks notice, something had happened. And they came back to me again, they said would you, could you do it? And I'm probably a bit um, easily swayed by if you tell me I can't do something or if you set me a challenge, I'll be like, watch me. So I was like five, five weeks, six weeks, that's a, that's a lot, um, a lot to do. So I basically, so I said yes. And then I was like, right, I have to get myself my fitness levels up. So I was literally, it was like, um, you know, I'd say my, I was living in an apartment block at the time and I'd say my neighbours were wondering what was going on. Um, I lived on the top floor, so I'd run up and down the stairs uh, 20 times, right? So I was trying to just emulate the hike and, and try and up the fitness levels, lots more running. Then I was like, well, I'm going to be, um, we we're crossing crevasses and glaciers, so we we're going to be roped in at various parts of this hike. I had never rock climbed in my life. I didn't know how to do that. So I signed myself up to Awesome Walls and I went and I did a beginner's course. So I knew that at least... While I knew we would be taught an element of it when we got there, I just wanted to remove some of the first steps or have a little bit of familiarity. Have basics going, yeah. yeah. And then the mistake I'd kind of made with, um, I'd learned a lot from Kilimanjaro just about my kit, my gear and, you know, how to have the lightest. We were going to be carrying our backpacks this time, whereas in um, Kilimanjaro, like we were mollycoddled, right? Somebody else carried our backpacks. So this time it was all about keeping the weight down, 
we had the clothes we stood in and a change of clothes, right? Wow. So so you were looking at how do we make sure that it's the lightest, the cleanest, um, no stink, right? So Merino featured heavily. Um, so so we did. I did all of that and then we set off and we did our seven days um, hiking the Hort Route, which was an amazing experience and I would recommend to anybody that it's into hiking um, as a as a as an expedition. It's fantastic. Um, and then we were supposed to climb uh, Mont Blanc at the end of all that, but... There was a wind that comes in, it's called the Foon, and the, I think I'm pronouncing it right. The Foon came in and it basically means it's off limits because it's just so dangerous. Mm-hmm. So we did another mountain instead. We had a backup. Our, our, our guide had um, was very prepared and he had that prepared for us. So. But something happened on that trip that, that made you want to be a volunteer in terms of rescue. What was it? Yeah, so as, as I was, I think it was a week, the week before um, going to, to Chamonix, um, we there was a group of us out hiking and I was going off on a solo hike and a few of them were rock climbing and I we'd all had a day it was it was it was a warm summer's day and I had done a, a huge big um loop and as we all got back to the cars we had we had seen climbers above us um that day as we were setting out and as we got back to the car one of our group got a phone call from one of the uh, party members of that the other group saying that there'd been a fall and they had called in the rescue services but they weren't sure um, if they were coming coming, so could we do something so we we called in rescue services again and then we basically ran back up to the top of the mountain to guide at this point given the severity of the the, um, fall and the accident the um, helicopter had been tasked with um, mountain rescue Um, and we we went up to kind of guide them into where the the point was Um, and that that was a, a, an enormous um, rescue, like it was in the news the next day, um, and and that kind of really opened my eyes to what mountain rescue was about and what they were doing and and their capabilities. Um, I'd taken part in some of their fundraising events before that, um, so I was definitely aware of them. But this was kind of seeing it in action um, was a real real eye opener for me. And it, it inspired you then to come back to Ireland and want to become a rescuer. Yeah, so I there was a little bit of a break. I, I went um, off traveling, and I I did a, um, uh, I was living in the US for a little bit, and then when I came back, um, I suppose I was looking to re-engage with the community, and um, it seemed to me like the sort of the best way to do that and the best way to give back. So that's how I came to join the team. So uh, you, you, how do you do that? <laughs> you just say <laughs> how do you become a mountain rescuer? It's quite impressive. <laughs> I know. Now, obviously, you have now established that you are very capable you mm-hmm. have done some training mm-hmm. you've done a couple of really big hikes so I mean if you walked in and I was interviewing you for a mountain rescue team I'd say yes top of the class yeah so so it came about there was kind of and everything in Ireland right like you know to you know uh, somebody who knows somebody um, or there's you know I kind of got connected to the team in two or three different ways so one way was, as I said, I was doing a number of the events. So they have fundraising events every year, run the line, walk the line. And then the big sort of trophy one, the Arthur Neil Challenge, which is 60 kilometre um, hike or run, depending on, on your persuasion, from Dublin Castle down to Glenmore Valley. And I had done that three three times. And I think the last time I had at done night. it. At night. Yeah. Right, Midnight. I, I remember you telling me this yeah. and this is what really, uh, I'd never heard of it and Glenmalure is my favourite place on the planet. I That's go there right, yeah. all the time. I'd never heard of it. So these are fundraisers obviously for Mountain Rescue. Yeah, so 70, 78% of our um, our expenses are covered by our fundraising events. Very good. Um, so um, one of them, as I said, the, our flagship one is the Arthur Neil Challenge and it is to recreate the breakout of uh, Hugh Arthur Neil from Dublin Castle in 
1594, I think I have the, the year right. 1594 and... Um, and he ran to Glenmalure. He, he was trying to get to a safe house in Glenmalure. And, um, which is still there. Which is still there. He didn't make it, which I only found out the first time oh, I did. Oh, okay. Like that. that slightly dampens it. <laughs> it. It does. It does happen when you're at like eight in the morning and you're climbing up this gully and you're like, why is there a plaque here? And it's, you learn it's because he died in that spot. Um, obviously from malnutrition and exposure and hypothermia and all those things, um, he wasn't fortunate enough to have all of the very good kit that we have these days. Um, so, so yeah, so I was taking part in that and it was a pretty brutal, um, uh, I suppose, weather system coming in at the time. And as we were self-guided, um, myself and my friend, and we came, I think we were the first and the second walkers in. And one of the guys said to me, look, you clearly know how to look after yourself in the, in the hills. You've been out for 12 hours covering 60 kilometres in some of the worst, like in, in desperate weather, um, we'd had a, it was, there was a lot of snow. Um, would you be interested in joining the team? So what time of the year is this? So this is the middle of January. Yeah, <laughs> okay. no, it's brutal. <laughs> it's pretty brutal, isn't it? it? Is, yeah. People come from all over the world, right? We have a lottery every year for this. Because it's full. Because there's only 200 spots. Amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I would, I would recommend anybody, I mean, anybody who's really interested in this probably knows about the event anyway, but um, it's definitely a, a, a flagship And you event. can run it or walk at 60k through the night into the Wicklow Hills. Yes. Wow. And there are only three checkpoints. Like there's, there's, the first, there's the start, the, the, um, there's the checkpoint one, two and the finish, right? So there's no trail as such. You've got to self-guide. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. So they said, you're great. <laughs> you please be a rescuer. They said, well, you seem to know your way around the hills. Clearly, <laughs> or um, else you're a complete sadist. Yeah, <laughs> and, and obviously you, you enjoy the hills and, um, you know, and you like a challenge. So, um, yeah, so I decided I would um, try out for the probationary team. So when they gather enough interest or when they decide they need a new intake, they will gather a probationary team and you're kind of put through your pace in the first night. So they put you out on a night navigation. Can you find yourself from A to B and are you kidding? Out? Night hiking is another thing I never, yes. I didn't, that's a thing. That's a thing for sure, yeah. Night hiking, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, <laughs> no, and it's very, <laughs> it's, it's very different, right? I can imagine, but yeah. do you bring a tent with you or? For this, no, because we're just night hiking, but there is part of your probationary um, towards the end, we will do an assessment and one of, there's layers and, and different days as um, part of it. But one of the days, kind of the final part of it is a night navigation on a hike and then we all bivy out um, which is you bivouac so you get into what I can only describe as a Gore-Tex sleeping bag and you sleep out um, for the night Okay yeah. Okay So how long are you with the rescue team in Dublin and Wicklow? So I joined um, at the beginning of 2017 so six years Oh wow yeah. Okay and uh, the the, the the real reason you're here is to talk about Maggie. <laughs> talk <laughs> no, about- you're a hero and I love you now, but really, <laughs> I've never met Maggie, but Maggie is a rescue dog. Yes. And your dog. Yes. Tell me about rescue dogs. So um, a number of years ago, um, we decided on the team as just as, you know, we, we have a number of, we're constantly reviewing our search techniques and our different tools, right? So we've got obviously vehicles and we've got um, capabilities with rope rescue and and, and just it's probably important to say that there are rescue teams all across Ireland aren't there yes there are 11 rescue teams Great. in the island yeah. and, and are they all charity funded mostly every single one of them is volunteer complete voluntary, voluntary. Complete volunteer, yeah. And and you're not. And before I really want to get stuck into Maggie now mm. in a minute, but your numbers are growing, aren't you? You're called out a lot more. Yeah, so we probably have. I mean, we're approaching our one um, hundredth call out this year. I think probably this week or next week we'll hit there. Um, we were much much lower. Um, um, we're probably we average one hundred to one hundred twenty a year. We're in the busiest part of the country, obviously, just with the proximity to Dublin. Um, some of the other teams have 
uh, definitely lower numbers but more complex. But numbers have gone up. Hiking's definitely gone much, much yeah. more popular, hasn't it? And it's just a, it's not just hiking, it's mountain biking, it's rock climbing, you know, um, it's people like in kayaks, um, swift water, things like that. So are Dublin and Wicklow rescue team the only rescue team with, with rescue dogs? So there's, um, we have another, so there's one standalone team called Sarda. So they're, um, they have search dogs and they work with mountain rescue teams. So that's what they've called them, search dogs, right? Because yeah. rescue dogs confuses me as well because it sounds like you've rescued the dog, but actually the dog is rescuing us. Yes. Which is also a metaphor for my life. But, <laughs> so tell me about the, Maggie. So yeah, so um, actually a week before COVID, um, I had been looking for a dog. Um, I wanted to have a dog that I could bring out in the hills with me. Um, and one of the members of the team posted on we have a social WhatsApp group and he posted a link to this dog that was looking to be rehomed. Um her her owner wasn't able to hold on to her anymore. So um I went up to look at um Maggie about two days later. She was called something else at the time. She was eight and a half weeks old. And as one of my colleagues, Sheila, mentioned, you never go to look at a puppy, you go to take the puppy home. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. So I took the puppy home and um she was Extremely, she's and she. What is she? She is half collie and a mix of Akita and German Shepherd. She's big. She's she's medium sized. She's yeah. like a she's a, a a broader, bigger collie. Little did she know what you had planned for her. Little a little did I know what I had planned for her. So, um, we had her house trained probably in like the space of an hour or two. Um, <laughs> Just very, very smart, very switched on dog and really, really, really driven with play. So all she wanted to do was just play, play, play. And I, um, one of our team members, so we had, we had started to develop this dog unit within the team and this capability. <clears throat> and one and the, the person who was leading that, um, Sheila, and she um, lo- obviously loves dogs. So she said to me, can I see, can I see a picture of the dog? We're now in mid lockdown. So I was sending videos of the dog and she goes, whenever we get back out in the hills and whenever we can train again, will you bring her along and we can have a look at her? So we did that and she had a, she had a look at the two of us and she said, if you can get her to bark for her toy, bring her back. So I went home and um, the next morning I got up and I spent five minutes jumping around like a lunatic in the back garden with a toy and Maggie started barking for the toy. So I said, I've done it. And she goes, right, bring her down and we'll see what we can do. My dog barks for the toy. <laughs> Now, she is half chihuahua, so I'm not sure how good she'd be <laughs> up a mountain, but go on. So so what you're basically trying to do is you're trying to find out what really motivates them or what really drives them yeah. and then exploit that. So um, we decided with Maggie's build, she's very agile, she's very nifty, very small, or not very small, but she's just very agile, that she would suit air scenting. So there's three types of, of dogs that we train. So the air scenting is a dog that works with the wind. Um, they work off lead and they cover massive areas and the idea is that when we get into find someone who's missing or lost, um, we will send the dogs out first and we'll know that, you know, they've gone out to Jouse and the car is here at the JB Malone car park and we'll do a hasty search and we'll put the dog out first um, because the dog will do the job of about 40 people. Really? Yeah, like they can they can just cover um, ground like... Oh, I love dogs. Like nobody else and they can... They just, they, they love it. So my job as her handler is to um, read the wind, read the terrain, understand our search plan and our search area and direct her. So she is sent, I give her a command for Maggie, it's go find. She has her little jacket and she has her bell on. And once they go on, there's no holding her back. She, she knows just, what she's she doing. Goes, she's, I'm, I'm here to work and this is, this is my job. Now to her work is play. play. Yeah. Because at the end of all of this, what she wants to do is she wants to find the person who's missing. 
her job then is to find me because I'm I'm clearing the area behind her. Has she found many people? She has found um, two people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she finds everybody when she's out training. So, um, yeah, she's, so we do, we do. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic, fantastic dog. She loves us. She will literally do, she just looks to me for direction and she will do, as I say, like anything I ask of her. So I'll point, you know, where I want her to go and she'll, she'll climb up that mountain or she'll, you know, go through the forest and she, she will find the person. And then as soon as she finds that person, she her next job is to refine is to find me. So she comes back to me and she will literally tell me that she's found somebody. And how she does that is she comes at me like a train is the way best way to describe it, like a bullet. And she will bark, jump and jump and jump and bark and bark and bark. And you follow her then? Until I say, show me. And then she goes back to the person and she will keep doing this until I get to her. Now, sometimes we are... So she ha- runs back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, so she has to bring me to the person. Yeah. And um, that's because... That's amazing. If she, if she stays with, because she clears such huge areas, if she stays with the person, if the wind or the terrain or the weather is really bad, I mightn't hear or see her. So even though she's got a bell on so I can kind of have an idea where she is in the hills, without her um, coming back to find me and bring me to the person, then I have to go find the dog, right? So she, she brings me to the person. Does Sometimes, it get scary? Um, no, I mean, like the adrenaline, right, is, is, is really what kicks in at that point and you're just, you're, you're really keen to follow the dog and, and see what, what you have Um when we're out on searches, we will have a, a support person. We're carrying medical kit, obviously. The person may have had a medical incident, like a, a stroke or a heart attack, um, or they could have had an accident. Um, so we're we're prepared to, to treat them then. And then obviously radio in support and backup. And then as soon as we get there, the medics take over. We leave. Maggie gets her toy because that's what she's done all of this for. Um, to get her toy. To get her toy. And she Familiar. sort of prances off the mountain with the toy between her. Does she have a look of satisfaction? You wouldn't believe it. Of like, yeah, 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 she does. How many does. dogs do you have? So I have another dog um, that I uh, got last year in no, training. It, as, oh, in, in dogs in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the in the rescue team. In the rescue team. So we have got at the moment two live air scenting dogs, just like Maggie. So Maggie and Boomer and um, Boomer's handler, Joe. We have two um, man trailing dogs, um, Layla and Grace and their handlers, Morris and, and Philip. And then we have a couple in training. So we have another one wow. in, in training. And, and this is all completely voluntary. Yes. So uh, if people want to support the work that you do in the Dublin Wicklow Mountain Rescue Team, how can we do that? So it's probably two ways to do it. Um, I would say sign up for any of our fundraising events. Uh, we have one coming up um, in March called Walk the Line, which is um, a fantastic event. That Dusk goes, into Dark Hike. Dusk into Dark Hike. Um, I'll do that with you. Do that. Yeah. That would be great. So you can do either 13 kilometres or 26 kilometres. I'll do the 26. <laughs> we, we have guides available, but it's really well marked and it's just a, it's a great event. We have kind of a party at the end, a bit of a festival at the end or um, donating um, to our, our team is also very much appreciated. So it's easy. The website is Dublin Wicklow Mountain uh, Rescue Team which is abbreviated to dwmrt.ie. That's, That's dwmrt.ie if you want to uh, donate and support the wonderful work that Fiona and her team and Maggie do. It's so yeah. nice to chat to you. Thank I you. I love the story. Thanks for coming in Fiona. Fiona Kelly, uh, let's take a break. Now, Maybe you're expecting some visitors this Christmas, returnees from, say, Australia or the States, who might be very successful abroad, 
but you'd like to keep them here. Maybe you've just arrived back from a high-flying job on the other side of the world and you're thinking it's time to return to the old sod. This might be something for you. The Back for Business programme was created in 2018 to foster and support entrepreneurial activity among Irish immigrants returning to Ireland. The programme is funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and they're looking for applicants. Paula Fitzsimons, the coordinator of the programme, joins me in studio and in a minute we'll be talking to two successful applicants who are building a business and life back in Ireland. Good morning, Paula. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. It's lovely to be here. Great to see you. Now, uh, so first of all, how would you qualify for this initiative? Uh, and we'll talk about the benefits. How does someone qualify? Absolutely. Well, if someone, as you say, has been abroad, now they may have come back and come back in the last three years or they may be planning to return to Ireland. I thought you introduced it really well, you know, because it'll be people who have just come back or maybe they're coming back for Christmas and this is their opportunity. Go and ahead, yeah. So... Go ahead, People yeah. returning who want to be an entrepreneur. That is there, is, is, the there a de- is there a time scale on it? As you said, in the last three years is good, but they have to have been living away for more than a year. Oh, they have to be living away for more than a year. So it's not somebody who went on holidays. Oh, gotcha. It's, you know, it's somebody who spent some time abroad. And actually, they have all sorts of advantages from having spent time abroad. Um, and often the pullback home is family. There's no doubt about that. Uh, sometimes people have children or maybe they've spent, you know, the average is 11 years abroad. That's is an, it? It's an average is 11 years abroad oh, when they less. come on the programme. No, 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 no. Well, that's really interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because you think of people doing a two-year sort of stint abroad. No, the average here is is 11. And I mean, we'd have example of people who've obviously been more and people who've been less, but the average is 11. And they have made lives in many respects abroad, but now the pull is home. Now, when people are moving... That is actually a good entrepreneurial opportunity. So it could be a physical movement coming back to Ireland or it could be that you just, you know, you're moving career because one career has closed on you and you're about to do something else. And really to think about starting a business at that juncture is a very good place to start. Yeah, yeah, because it's almost take opportunity out of change, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And remember the people who are coming back to Ireland and thinking of staying here. They're bringing back with them the experience of a different culture, maybe a different language. They'll have got different experience, perhaps been on the cutting edge. I mean, you're going to talk to Ronan uh, Purcell later on. He was working in uh, energy, sustainable energy in Australia. He brought that knowledge with him. Back to Ireland. It's interesting you say average is 11 years. I, I went to London with the intention of just, you know, flitting back and forth. And you grow roots when you go there. And next fall, work grows and you're all of a sudden you're renting or buying and you're, and you're living there. But I noticed I came back and my niece and nephews were getting taller. <laughs> it's just like I'm missing. I'm missing out on what I really want to be part of my life now. So, yeah, it drew, it drew me definitely back. So what is the programme and how does it work? OK, so first of all, people apply very easily on backforbusiness.com mm-hmm. we send them so they register their interest we send them an application form thanks to the Department of Foreign Affairs their Irish Abroad Unit there is no charge for anyone who gets involved if they're selected they will come together on the 7th of February to actually launch it it'll run then over five months meeting once a month with a group of up to six or eight Peers, people who have come back, people who want to start businesses, but none of whom will be competitors with you. And that is facilitated by a lead entrepreneur. And a lead entrepreneur is a volunteer, completely volunteer. But they're successful business people. And many of them have actually spent time abroad 
and themselves have returned to Ireland. So, I mean, some of the lead entrepreneurs who have spent time abroad themselves in exactly the same circumstances and then started businesses, Morgan Brown. And in fact, the two that you're going to talk to were on Morgan's Roundtable last year. Mm -hmm. Seamus Riley, Hannah Rickson, Paul Duggan. They are all voluntary lead entrepreneurs, all have spent time abroad, came back and started a business here. These people that you're describing, what kind of entrepreneurs are they? Very mixed in terms of they come from all different sectors. They'll be all different parts of the country and they'll have different aspirations. And what we set to do is to encourage them to be employers over time so that they're not totally dependent on themselves. But whether they aim for a locally traded service or they're hoping to take on global markets, that is up to themselves. We will help help them to fulfil their potential. What's interesting about this particular group of early stage entrepreneurs is because they have spent time abroad, they have very good connections abroad. So a very high proportion of them, in fact, want to export. Oh, very good. So, yes. So this is a peer to peer group and you probably have six or seven other entrepreneurs in your network and you'll have a mentor or a lead, an experienced entrepreneur to sort of guide you. How long does it last? You said the cycle Uh, runs from? Okay, the cycle will run from February to June and that is the sort of formal cycle. But then thanks to the Department of Foreign Affairs, we've been allowed to put together a community so people can stay together. And last year we did another round table for further development of those who'd been in the uh, community and uh, we run topic based workshops and we do review roundtables for them and it works very well. They also, this becomes their tribe. So they begin to do business together as well. Um, and that's very interesting to watch. So it's a great, it's peer-to-peer, but it's also networking, isn't it really? Oh, absolutely. Um, so what kind of businesses, so, so say people listening at home or at work or abroad, what kind of businesses? Give us a give us a flavour of the kind of entrepreneurs you expect. Okay, so the flavour, as I said, is very broad. Um, so we'd have somebody like Kira Petty, who has come back from London, who was uh, an interior designer. She's now down in County Clare. You've got Gareth Cash, who was travelling and I believe a professional gambler. That's what he tells me. And he came back from Canada and has set up a microbrewery and a bar down in Limerick. You have Shane Murphy, who was involved in elite performance um, with several of the uh, football clubs in the UK, has come back and put his knowledge of leadership and elite elite performance uh, together. He's based in Ashburn. So you're looking at a wide range. Paul Pear, Kim White, down in Waterford, making beautiful stationery. Um, So a great uh, wide range. Two, I think, that are interesting at the moment because they've done something completely different and interesting uh, would be uh, Aoife Matthews. Aoife came back from Madrid and has just, with two other co-founders, has launched Sisterly, which is... um, health formulation f- for women's health care, right? Right. Uh, just launched recently, both in Ireland and in the UK. And another one that's completely different again and, and quite interesting is Colin McAndrish, who has started First Swim. He came back very into elite sports and aqua area and he has started the first 
baby and toddler swim pool in Ireland, which is heated at the right area to encourage the children and their parents to learn Brilliant. to swim. Yeah, it's out in Sandford. Wow, really, really. Yeah. Super idea. It's really interesting. Yeah. So um, somebody who's come through uh, back for business is Ronan Purcell and joins us on the phone. Hi, Ronan. Hi, Brendan. How are you keeping? Good, good. Good, good. good. So, Ronan, you and Tara, your wife, uh, went off to Australia, a story well known by many people, um, in 2011. That's right, yeah. And a bit like your own story, we we went for a couple of years on an adventure and to experience a different part of the world. And uh, and then 10 years later and three kids later, uh, we decided it was time to come home. And exactly as you were discussing there for all the family reasons and to bring up the kids in Ireland around family uh, experience all that. So you're in Spiddle, is that right? That's right, yeah. Our offices are based in Spiddle in, in County Galway. So just give us a, a, the, your business story. You go to Australia. What were you working at? So I was working, I got in um, as a general manager with two founders of a commercial solar company and it was at really the start of the solar on, on rooftop solar on businesses in Australia and worked with them and then moved into one of the largest energy companies in Australia and set up their renewable energy arm um, and then did a, and then also worked in the state government of New South Wales and uh, Sydney's the capital city of New South Wales and uh, looked after their energy operations and helped with their transition from fossil fuel generation to renewable generation. So you're kind of in a, in a very sunny climb where now technology means we don't need sun anymore for solar and you br- you're bringing this wealth of information and knowledge back to Ireland. Is that fair to say? Exactly, exactly. And, I, and I, Ireland's at the start of that journey where Australia was 10 or 12 years ago when I started it. And uh, to see how it's the, all the, the pitfalls, but all the benefits and, and the great things that solar can bring and the advantages and bring and helping customers and how to maximise that um, is, is all that knowledge that I'm bringing back with me and want to share with businesses. Uh, our con- the consultancy business I've set up 18 months ago is in the is focused on providing this service to businesses uh, and we, we go in, we look at energy efficiency first and businesses where they're using their energy, how they can uh, reduce any losses uh, and reduce their carbon emissions and then we support them on delivering some of these projects uh, that we'd recommend and also we give them support and guidance on the grants that are out there. There's great grants and supports from the, the Irish Brilliant. government. So what's your name of your company is Fort Energy, F-O-R-T. Fort Energy, Brilliant. F-O-R-T, yeah. So how long are you home? We're home just over two years, August 21, uh, and the business is up and running about 18 months. And what first compelled you and your wife to go to Australia, just for an adventure, was it? It was really just that. uh, I suppose it was 2011 and it wasn't the most exciting uh, times in Ireland. uh, And and, uh, we just we just got married and decided before we, we settled too much, let's, let's have one last adventure. And uh, Australia made a lot of sense for, for lots of reasons for us, uh, although it was on the other side of the world. Um, but it was brilliant, great lifestyle and with a brilliant, brilliant 10 years there uh, and really look back fondly on it. And was it looking at the kids growing up, you thought, right, time to shift back to, back to the old sod? Yeah, yeah, and we just, we never fully settled and it was a point we were looking at it out there going, oh, could we settle here with the kids? And I think we just wanted to bring them up around family and bring them up, I suppose, Irish as well and uh, and get them to experience the Irish childhood that we had. And then um, obviously, and in terms of business, you saw an opportunity to bring your yeah, learnings. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, when I came back, I saw the opportunity, exactly like you were speaking about, you're at a change in career. I was working with an Australian company, so obviously I couldn't transfer back to Ireland with them. And uh, so it was a career turning point for me and said, look, now is a great time to, to start. Equally, 
it's really challenging. Like I had a great network. I knew the market out there. Um, of course. Start a business out there would have been easier in, in that sense. But coming back, not having any of that was was a, was a challenge as well. And that's where Back for Business was brilliant. Cool. Um, you know, it allowed me to to pitch ideas, to to test my to test my my product, and to see how well it would work, and to get really good feedback. And Paula really sets a great um, culture for all the participants in it at the very start. About you know, we challenge, but we also encourage each other and really bring each other along. Um, and as you're saying, there's no conflict there uh, amongst anyone, so you can be really open and honest with your business and where you want to go with it. And then um, and then equally for me, it was great because. I was dealing with so people starting their businesses and I'm in the business-to-business space so I've been able to pitch to them and uh, and see what they think of the ideas. Um, and the, the program I went through the, the Back for Business with was it's an energy management platform to help people really maximise the value from their solar systems um, and learnings I got from Australia and how to really manage and, and, and use solar to make sure that they're getting the full value out of it. The uh, solar how, system. How is business? It's good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're, we're growed so slow and steady is, is the way I like to go so far but now we're at the point where I want to, we're, we're ready to start pushing ahead we've, we've built all the foundations and we're at a great point to launch and in the new year I launched this energy management platform which will really maximise solar and, and also manage energy on, on business customer sites but, um, but look some of the great stuff that I'm really proud of is getting repeat business and referrals from, from customers and that's been one of the biggest uh, achievements I've When did you come through the Back for Business uh just, just last year, I started in January 23 and okay. we finished up in, in June, July 23. And you would thoroughly recommend it, obviously. Thoroughly recommend it. Like, uh, like the lead entrepreneur is Morgan Brown, as, as Paula said, he was excellent and he was in a software business himself. So it was great to be able to get guidance and like just exposure to get someone's time with that experience and knowledge was just such a brilliant asset for, for me. And then, and then just a support group you get from the people around you. And then they bring in lots of external experts as well on, on the accounting and the legal side, so setting up businesses in Ireland, which was just so invaluable. It's, worked, it's actually worth so much. So you've made the right decision. You're delighted to be home. Delighted to be home, yeah. yeah. We had a great 10 years and we loved it, but absolutely no, no looking back now. We're absolutely loving it. How are the kids? They're brilliant. They, nearly, they settled in quicker than we did. Um, <laughs> they were is. in and out to the to the grandparents and loving having cousins around and um, and we're straight into getting into the Gaelic football and things like that so they, they were quicker than us for getting settled in uh, Somebody else who joins us Sarah Fleischbach Hello Sarah how are you? Hello how are you? Thank you for your patience Sarah thanks for waiting so Sarah you originally from Hamburg Germany came to Dublin during school um, and then you were in film production how did you get involved with Back for Business? So I, yeah, as you said, um, I went to school in Ireland when I was 16 and I, I, I mean, I intended to come for one year to improve my English, but then I ended up actually doing the leaving certificate. And then afterwards I went off and went to university and um, different places and worked in Berlin uh, for a long time. And yeah, but then I actually ended up coming back to Ireland uh, a few years ago and um yeah, so that's, and, and then, yeah, I actually founded my own business because, um, what's your I business? Just noticed, 
So my business is called Share Club. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came back to Ireland, I just noticed that there is um, a lot of sustainable solutions, like I would have known them from Germany, don't really exist here. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought there's like a lot of room for innovation. And um, at Share Club, we actually address one of Ireland's uh, really pressing challenges, the excessive packaging waste because Ireland is actually the leading producer of plastic waste packaging per person in the EU. Um, So 22,000 takeaway cups are disposed of every single hour here. Wow. So, um, yeah, so at Share Club, we've created a digital um, circular packaging solution, starting with um, high-quality and unbreakable reusable cups. And um, we've also developed an app where our clients can see the positive environmental impact that they've made and showcase their reductions in disposable cups and uh, the CO2 emissions. So just to Um, to be clear, it's called Share Club and it's it's a reaction to the waste we generate every day, particularly around cups. So you have a Share Club where people can hire reusable cups. Is that correct? Exactly. So, the, so we launched uh, this year, um, and um, we started with corporate events. So, how that works? It's like a rental cup solution. Oh. So, we basically deliver the cups for the event, and then they can be used throughout the event, and then we collect and clean them afterwards. But we also offer a membership. So, this is for clients that host frequent events and maybe even have a cafe and canteen, like corporate clients. And they have also exclusive access to our app for sustainability reports. So you, uh, I see you received an Environmental Protection Agency's Green Enterprise Grant as well. So well done. Yes. What does that mean for your business? Oh, it was like an absolute game changer. Um, I mean, like last year, like this time last year, it was like basically um, I had the idea, but, you know, it's, it's it's not that easy to get started and like getting that grant um, from the Environmental Protection Agency just gave us like the means to start to develop a minimum viable product of our app and also to grow our team. Um, MVP. Yeah. (laughs) I know it well. So obviously your ambition would then to take on huge festivals I imagine, right? Yes, so what we are doing at the moment is mainly corporate events, um, so um, like conferences or business events, but um, obviously like the concerts, and I mean, I went to a few concerts uh, this summer, and the waste like from the cups and from, you probably you know, have a whiplash from um, walking around concerts with the waste you see there. <laughs> Tell me this, back, okay, so let's talk about Back for Business. You, you are a, a graduate of Back for Business as well. Tell me how, yes. how was that for you? Oh, it was it was a really great experience. Um, so, um, as uh, um, Paula and Ronan already said, so you have these round table sessions, and basically you set goals um, at the beginning, and then um, the lead entrepreneur. So my lead entrepreneur was also Morgan Brown, and um, he was fantastic. And then the other entrepreneurs in the group, like we really like held each other accountable to reach our goals, and like every time we met, um, we were basically working on like different um, different topics such as like setting goals, reaching our customers, financial. So it's kind of like an accountability group as well. Yes, and I mean it's interesting because all the other businesses um, in my like on my like round table they were all like completely different sectors, but in a way you know we all had like similar challenges because we're all trying to set something up in Ireland. 
and um yeah and so we it was like really you know and then you also get like just really great advice from like out of your box basically uh, it's it sounds really inspiring actually was it a big big help to sort of keeping you going on your journey because setting up a company from nothing i mean especially something as unique i, I can imagine that the pitch for for you going to rent cups to people was a bit of a challenge at the start Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, so the, like, I started the program January 23. And I mean, honestly, like, what we had was basically the idea and, like, the name for the business. So you're not even, you're not even a year old. Yeah, so we only launched this year at the end of May at the Circular Economy Hotspot in Dublin. So, like, that was basically during while I was on the program as well like so um you know we we've made like a huge progress and definitely the participation of that in that like back for business program really like helped us to make that program uh, so uh, Paula Ronan and Sarah are just great examples of very very different businesses aren't they absolutely totally different businesses and you find that all the businesses are different. And as they said, we never put competitors on the same table. So I think that's important to mention, isn't it? Absolutely. And I would say the underpinning of the success of the round tables is confidentiality. So what stays in the room stays there. You know, they keep keep confidential. Very important. Collaboration. So it's all about a win-win. So they're helping each other to move forward. And as Sarah talked about her goals and milestones, they set those for themselves. What do I want to achieve over this six months? And then it's collectively, how can we help you? But we'll ask you how you're getting on to keep you to keep <laughs> yeah. you straight. And then it's respect. Ronan, uh, what would you say? Anybody listening uh, who could be abroad, uh, we have a number of listeners around the world, or thinking about uh, participating, what would your, would your word be to them for Back for Business? Oh, go for it. Don't, don't, don't hold back. It's a great opportunity to launch your business um, and it's a great program that drives you towards success. And you're, just to give you a little plug, it's Fort Energy and you're going to be launching your, um, your, your, your energy technology. Management plat- energy management platform, yeah, in the new year. So Fort Energy, that's brilliant. Rona, thank you so much. And Sarah, your last, you give us a word. What would you say to anybody listening who's thinking about going, going for back for business? Yeah, I would say definitely go for it and apply um, because it's not just the six months. It's also like ongoing support. I mean, we keep in touch with all the different entrepreneurs. We've made like really valuable connections and, you know, also potential like clients. And um, you just like really learn so much about like the whole kind of startup ecosystem and get like, you know, like basically like a foothold in that Ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I've got a question here for you, Paula. A texter says, "Our partners are returning Irish eligible for this grant. I'm Irish. My partner is French, and is setting up his business here. I was away 13 years. Love being home, Siobhan. I'm delighted she loves being home. I should say to her though that we're not giving grants as such, so yes. there isn't oh, a yes. grant associated That's with this. Good to clear that up. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So there's no funding available. It's about mentoring, and certainly um, her husband could apply um, on." Backforbusiness.com. Okay, so just get, that's all, just for the final. So, is there a deadline when people need to get the application in? And yes. Give us all the details. About okay, that. so they need to apply by the 15th of January. So they've plenty of time, but on the other hand, you do it today or you forget about it, is what I would always say, right? Yeah. So, 15th of January, absolutely. They register on the website. Claude and my colleague will immediately get them out an application form. They fill that out and return. We don't do an interview. We don't do a pitch or anything else. We just go on the application oh, form. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, because we want 
want to minimise the bureaucracy for those who are trying to start up. That's fantastic, yeah. It's also free. That's important to say. And that's thanks to the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Irish Abroad Unit. So there's no cost to anyone uh, getting involved. And it's all done online. uh, One more question here quickly. Does Paula find there that a lot of people have the same problems when starting a business or the problems varied? No, the problems are often similar. But in those who've returned from abroad, the number one problem is the fact that their network has gone soft. So they don't know the professional and personal network. Maybe you found that, Brendan, when you came back from London. They don't know as many people. And if you're starting a business, you need a network. This gives them a network immediately. Now, if I look at another group of those starting, they will be saying to me, maybe access to uh, finance or they'd be looking at whatever. But this group consistently year on year when we say to them what is your greatest barrier network. they say network Brilliant. and what we want to do is let them find their tribe immediately Paul Fitzsimmons thank you so much for joining us this morning back for business.com to find out more about this wonderful initiative let's take a break Party season is upon us. Today is Friday, the 8th, as we said. And I would say there's a load of Christmas parties happening tonight. In fact, Adam had, was at his Christmas party last night and I got up to come to work at quarter to six this morning and he was asleep, fully dressed on the couch. So he won't be listening this morning, I would say. They had a great time. So he's still partying like it's 1999. Uh, but has Christmas work parties evolved from traditional sit-down dinner and drinks. I mean, I remember going to June Rogers in the Red Cow as part of our Christmas dinner and it was really good fun. Brendan Grace and I was sort of way too young to sort of get how iconic he was at the time, but we had a really good time. Now we're joined in studio by Sarah Morrissey from the Davis Events Agency. You're very welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. You're the encyclopedia of Christmas parties. I can be, yeah. <laughs> well, you are now. <laughs> so has the Christmas party has it bounced back as an idea from COVID? It definitely has bounced back, yeah. Um, I think last year was kind of the first year that we were able to have parties again. Um, people maybe weren't thinking about it as much last year. We weren't sure. But this year it's definitely back, um, back with a boom for sure. So uh, the big companies like the tech companies, they've had, they've seen, they've been right sizing all this year. So we've seen budgets maybe being slashed, have we, from the bigger side of things? For sure, for sure. There's definitely, um, I suppose, more of a trend going towards your your team or your department having uh, their own Christmas party rather than your larger companies, for sure. So we're, we're remembering that. Do you remember you'd go to a Christmas party in the old Burlington and there'd be a thousand people at it? There would, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that was a staple of our, of our winter mm-hmm. going out. Um, but as you said, people are doing them in a more compressed way or maybe by department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So traditionally when we think of it, we think of an open bar. We do. Uh, and because I remember when open bars became a thing in the 80s mm. and, you know, you, you thought it was the last night of the world when you were young and, and stupid like me. But it's not the case anymore, is it really? It open. isn't. It isn't. Um, I think as well, I suppose, with those budget cuts, um, it's it's a thing. But uh, companies are moving towards more of the, the token system. So you might have three or four tokens given to you at the start of the night. There are three or four drinks. And then after that, you're you're on your own as to, to paying for drinks. I think I think it kind of it definitely limits the the amount of alcohol that people are drinking. Um, as you said, it's not the end of the world um, and we're not drinking as much. Um, but I think a lot of people are choosing to not drink alcohol at all at these Christmas parties. There's been a huge trend since COVID for health and wellness. People are, are definitely going towards the non-alcoholic options and it's really important that you have those sort of options at your party too. Uh, and that, and which is good, right? So, uh, you know, it's, uh, people, younger people particularly as well, t- turning away from just getting crazy drunk, which mm-hmm. is great to hear. Um, 
what other activities are people doing then if they're, you know, if they're not playing drinking games like we used to? Yeah, yeah. So I, there, as you said, there's definitely kind of a, a movement away from um, your your traditional dinner, your drinks. Um, a lot of the time people want to have some sort of activity, some sort of thing to do to, to um, I suppose give more of a connection to people within their their Christmas party, um, especially with COVID times. Not everyone's seeing everyone every day. You might be hybrid, you might be fully remote as well. Um, so the type of activities, we've done cocktail masterclasses, we've done um, tie-dye workshops. Sorry, I'm going to stop you there. Tie-dye workshops at a yeah. Christmas party. The world gone mad. What's that about? <laughs> well, it gives you something that you can take home for sure. Oh, and yeah. it's something creative as well. Things like paint and sip. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, like you, you might no. have a drink and you 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 all paint the same picture and you kind of get your creativity flowing. It sounds like you're describing a really, you know, oppressive hen party. (laughs) (laughs) Sit there and paint, you know, let's do something fun. Is it fun? Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. Uh, like some people could be awful at painting, but it, it, it's, bit of crack. It, it's a bit of crack. And it, I suppose it, it, it gives you the conversations that you're having that might not necessarily be work. Like, so you're at a Christmas party. You don't want to be talking about work all the time. You can be talking about different things and it, it kind of draws the conversation into something You else. recently did a party with the Pac-Man machines branded what? we Ooh. did yeah so I did, um, I'd love that and that's like a, in a tournament yeah yeah so we we um, created a, a bespoke Pac-Man game branded for for the, the company and um, there was like a, a, we put it on a large LED screen so people could see the game happening exactly and you had your 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 old school controls with the, the joystick with four players in front of it so everyone could watch who was playing and, and there was a tournament there was leaderboards people are terribly competitive um, I'm not going to tell you really job but have you watched Squid Games The Challenge yet? I have yeah. I'm telling you now we're going to do one called Quid Games <laughs> <laughs> and it's literally Battleship Marbles I love it you know, they're all great games for Christmas party aren't they? They really are and I've actually in one of my um, old companies old teams we used to get together uh, regularly and just do board games okay. all the time it really just depends on the team and their personality for sure um, what sort of activity you might go towards and another thing about you know avoiding alcohol at these meetings uh, you know because you're with there's a lineage in your workplace naturally your boss is going to be there mm-hmm. and I always say to people actually be careful where you use your credits <laughs> yeah you know keep your credits for yourself and for your friends exactly uh, you had your own Christmas party this week we did uh, what did you do so we um, had a, a team offsite um, in the Dean actually lovely enough um, we spent the day there and the day we did spend the day there so uh, we, we're a hybrid work environment so it's it was a chance to get everyone in one room at yeah, one time which is and, nice. um, we kind of looked back on the year that we had and looked forward to the year that is coming as well. Um, lots of conversations. And then um, we had a bit of a team building. We had um, a hypnotist in. Um, and Not yeah. sure how I feel about that. Yeah. So it kind of like a, a Keith Barry sort of thing, Darren Brown. Um, and it was it was great. He he he, um, he brought us through um, like almost like mindfulness um, for a time. So he, he had us um, through go through thought exercises and. And at the end of the, the the thought exercises, it felt like he said that you would have slept for five hours. Um, so there was definitely there's a mindfulness part to it, but there was also a bit of a fun part to it as well. So he did he did um, hypnotize some of us. I, I'd be nervous <laughs> about having a hypnotist, to be honest. But what I would have, and I did it once, is I put in the box room a palm reader at a party. Yes, and it was really popular. Yeah, and I had a friend who's quite well known, who shall remain nameless, had to go to 
pick up her kids and she came up to try and skip the queue. Oh, I love it. I yeah. said, no, I'm sorry, you can't skip the queue. I, I've done something similar as well. I put a bunch of fortune tellers in a church for Halloween. Wow, I love that. <laughs> now, now you're talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> That's so much fun. So um, your, your, your Christmas party sounded like an opportunity actually to bond, really. It was, yeah. yeah and yeah. I think that's really important, especially, as I said, hybrid, sometimes completely remote. Um, you're not having the types of like water cooler chat or the casual chats with your colleagues that you would normally have. Yeah. Um, and it's really important, actually. Like there's been studies, it's been proven that if you know your, your colleagues on a more casual level, um, a more friendly level, it, it, it relates to a better a better team. There's more trust. There, there's less stress in the team, and you perform better for sure. Okay, so I'm reading here. You've said uh, mobile phones are a no-no at the Christmas party. No photographs. It's like it's like a modern wedding. The bride goes bananas if you take a photograph of them. Do you know what? It's just. I mean, it's it's better to not have them. It yeah, causes put them away. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't want any distractions at all. You don't want to be seen to be on your phone. And then there, I suppose, there's some sort of connotations of like if someone's taken photos at, at the Christmas party, if someone's drunk or anything. Um, you kind of just don't really want to go into that. Can I of. say, uh, uh, as a younger person mm-hmm. in the world right now, is there a general move to take phones away from social settings? Do you think? Do you know? I would prefer it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I would definitely prefer but, it. And I think we're a couple of years ago we would have been. A mar- sort of a minority but now I think we're moving into people are generally you can say in a restaurant to your mates without getting slapped across the face mm-hmm. you can, will you put your phone away? Yeah yeah. no for sure yeah like put put the phone face down put the phone in your bag there's there's nothing generally as pressing like as, as having the conversation I actually get a little embarrassed if I forget and we're out for dinner and I put the phone on the table mm-hmm. I get I, I feel oh that shouldn't be there put it away now so yeah. that's good so but in Christmas party land if people are having a few drinks mm-hmm. you'd get Get rid of your phone. That's not fair, right? For sure. Yeah. And, and is it okay? Can you say that on the invite, on the email saying no phones? I don't, I don't know if you could really say it on the... You can't say it to anyone to take away their phone, their connection to maybe something that they need, like their family or anything like that. But um, it's generally encouraged, I think. Okay. Yeah. Very diplomatic. Very <laughs> good. So a Christmas party is not for everyone. And actually, with hybrid working and people working from home who don't really know people and people have a little bit of social anxiety or they... Mm-hmm. They just don't, you know, they don't mix as well. They might dread a Christmas party, right? But you don't have to go. You don't have to go at all. It's, again, it would be encouraged, as I said, like it's it's to create that sort of connection and that sort of casual relationship with your colleagues outside of work. But um, if, if you really don't want to go, you don't have to go. Or if you do, you're you're kind of humming and hawing about it, you could go for a couple hours. There's a great, home. there's good middle ground. You know? Even go for an hour, have a deal yeah. with your head, I'll go in an hour, go leave in an hour. But I think what's key is, and it's kind of down to what you do for living is creating an, a party that will be inclusive. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that's that sort of activity. It's something to to um, distract people as well from just having those those conversations. Some people might have social anxiety. So it's kind of like it's honing in something, giving everything something to do, something to focus on while you're having those conversations. So I've, I, this, I'm going to read this question because it's funny and I like it. I'm, mm. I'm going to pretend I didn't write it. I didn't mm. write it. In your 10 years as an event planner, have you come across any misbehaving employees. Do you know what? I have been very, very lucky in the fact that oh, come I haven't. On. Give me some dirt. I, I don't have any, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, there has been some people that have gotten a little bit too drunk. Um, but other than that, no, no mad, mad stories. <laughs> oh, I could t- I could you, keep you here all day with mad stories. Um, so what's the most expensive party you've ever organised? They have been upwards of 100k. 
For a party. For a party. For employees. For employees. Oh. Now, they have been large, large... Lots of people. Lots of people. So 400, 500 people. So when you actually break that down, that might be 200 per person. Okay. So when you're thinking about that... It, it, it kind of like does break it down a bit. And these parties were very like extravagant. Two different venues, lots of different activities. Not just your one core activity, but multiples of them. Um, but yeah, so that, that probably would have been. So now it's time for the crack. So we have to protect our professional reputations while still having fun, right? Thank How you. do we do that? So, well, I mean, tend to... You're very relaxed. Don't you having a cup of coffee there? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I suppose the, the biggest thing is around the, the drink and, and do pace yourself with that sort of thing. So make let's sure. get into the do's and don'ts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I suppose do um, maybe like take it easy uh, on the drink. So I have it here, right? So you yeah. like do go to the party. 100%. Even if it's only half an hour, an hour, just make an appearance. Mm-hmm. You'll be really glad you did and mm-hmm. you never know who you'll bump to, into on the way out. And also, <laughs> yeah, ask for a raise. No, don't, I'm joking. <laughs> the big don't is don't overindulge in alcohol mm-hmm. no matter how much you think you need the Dutch courage. For sure. What? Anything else to say on that? Um, take advantage of the good food that you're normally being offered. Mm-hmm. It's good soakage for that. Do A good one. Yeah. Do be polite and respectful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That means introducing yeah. yourself to people you don't know very well and socialising outside your core group. That's a tricky one for some people, right? Yeah, especially for those larger companies when you're all getting together and you, you might not necessarily know everyone. But I know some people do struggle with that sort of thing. If you see someone who's being maybe a bit of a wallflower, try to in- include them in the conversation. That's what I was thinking as well. If you're yeah. a bit more outgoing, a bit more extrovert, try and include the introverts. Although introverts will tell you they don't want to be included. But that's <laughs> another conversation. Don't forget to eat. You've touched on that. Go on. Yeah, like a lot of these things, especially with food and food in Ireland, like has gotten really amazing. You're, you're having really good Christmas dinners nowadays. It's not just your traditional turkey and ham. I Listen, that's all I remember was those Christmas <laughs> parties. It was the, turkey and ham was all you got. And, and I remember once asking with being with a vegetarian and they just sent out a big pile of cabbage and potatoes. Oh, gosh, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, don't talk about don't talk about things other than what you talk about every day. So do talk about things other than so like don't don't just talk about work. Is that a big one, right? Yeah, I think uh, like, naturally, like a lot of rules now. I'm yeah. getting nervous for myself. <laughs> naturally, I suppose you, you you do tend to talk a little bit about work with your colleagues, but you have to remember it's a parity at the end of the day and, and try to talk about t- try to get to know people on a more personal level, their family, their hobbies. How you're spending Christmas is a good conversation starter. Very nice. And uh, yeah, so do remain mindful of your surroundings. Pay attention to who is around you and make sure you're not doing anything that would offend or embarrass anyone. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. What could I do to offend and embarrass anyone? I mean, <laughs> I get through every day offending and embarrassing people, but what, what, what kind of, give us an example that people might listening might be... I, I think you have to just pay attention to the words that you're saying a little bit more. Like uh, some people, maybe even just like your uh, Irish people are tend, tend to be slagging people quite a lot. Banter. Banter, yeah, exactly. Especially when you have a couple of drinks and yeah, and uh, you just be, just be a bit more mindful about the things you're saying. So we were talking about this during the week and actually gossip can be quite good for you as a social cohesion, okay, you know, yeah. but don't gossip or complain about your co-workers or your boss at your Christmas party. That's no. a big no-no, right? Big no-no. I can get around to them, you know. What's that? It can get back to them. Yeah. Just because, well, I, sometimes it's all you have in common <laughs> is, is your disdain for somebody else. And But it can be quite good for co- social cohesion, but probably not at the Christmas party. Maybe not. Yeah. Do try to look after younger colleagues. 
Yeah, I think like uh, especially the the colleagues who have just entered the workplace um, over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, it's it's a big thing where they might not have actually had this might be their first Christmas party. They they're not working with people on the daily basis, so they don't know people. They don't know maybe like the etiquette or anything like that. And I suppose it's it's something to include them and and and. Uh, let them like get them more comfortable for sure. And then we had talked about no no phones, which means no cameras really. Mm-hmm. Don't post photos or comments that could get you in trouble in the morning. Mm. Yeah. Go on. Well, just just warn people about that, please. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like just just don't don't really be taking photos or, or being on the phone at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well. If, some people move through a room on, on on selfie mode, you know. They do, yeah. And I suppose it, it's it's good to have like a couple memories of, of the night, but maybe just take a, a couple photos, a group photo uh, and, and leave it after that. Yeah. Somebody just texted in here, Sarah. I prefer going to a team lunch rather than mm-hmm. the organisation's party. P.S. Greetings from uh, Vincent's Private. Hello. Uh, in for the day for chemo. Oh, well, get well. I hope you're doing well. Staff at Cedar Ward and my oncology team are legendary. Dave, sending you love and light. Hope you're doing well. I kind of prefer lunch as well. I agree with Dave. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of a a, um, a trend going towards the lunches and the daytime things. A lot of the the hotels and the venues are offering that, like a an afternoon tea sort of Christmas party as well. Mm. Uh, and we've seen that for sure. So yeah, and then you're home early as well. What about a Christmas breakfast? Not yet. N- not yet. Am, am I yet. am I booking a trend here now? <laughs> a brunch here. maybe. A brunch. <laughs> now the last tip on your list is do say thank you. 100%. Go on. Well, how, why is that so important? Because well, it's whoever organised it who's exactly. paying for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I know it's it's my job, but a lot of the time if you're organising the, the party yourself, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And, uh, <laughs> Go on, you get to, well, I play some violins for you now, Sarah, you poor, you poor party organiser. And I, I think it's just, it's even like, it's just, it's just good to say thank you. Thank, say thank you to the boss that's paying for it all as well, do you know? Yes. Okay. Well, listen, and your final big tip for anybody heading out tonight, what would it be? Ooh. To the Christmas party. Have fun. Ah, lovely, lovely, <laughs> lovely. Well done. Listen, uh, Sarah Morrissey, thank you so much. And tell us the name of your company again. Davis Events Agency. Davis Events, you were a pleasure to talk to you and thanks for all the tips. Let's take a break.